0: My guest today is Australian-born Brit, author Catherine Menon. Catherine, a total enigma to me, straddles the often antagonistic worlds of straight-lined logic and unabashed creativity, with a PhD in pure mathematics and a master's in creative writing. In 2018, Catherine published a short story collection called Subjunctive Moods, but is no stranger to the literary scene, with winning pieces in several short story journals. Catherine's also judged for international short fiction competitions, all while fulfilling her role as a university robotics lecturer. Joining us from London, I'm so pleased to welcome Catherine Menon to the show to chat about her new debut novel, Fragile Monsters. Welcome, Catherine.
1: Thank you, Sam. It's lovely to be here.
0: Oh, it's such a privilege to have you on the show. It's something that I would never have dreamed about that I could touch base and pick the brains of authors of books that I've loved. So this is honestly a dream come true. Uh, Catherine, let's hear a little bit more about you first. You're a a true product of the Commonwealth through and through. (laughs) Tell me about your life in London and how that connects to you as an Australian.
1: Yes, so I've been living in London for, gosh, over 10 years now. Um, I was in Australia before that, uh, born in WA in Perth and uh, then decided to come over to England to do a postdoc so it was only intended to be a three-year stint but
0: obviously life happens things things get in the way and I look around and I've been here 10 years. Amazing well London I mean to be stuck somewhere for 10 years London's a pretty good place to be I would bet.
1: Yes London is awesome it's um it can be stressful at times. You do sometimes just think, oh, goodness, I want everything to be quiet for a moment. But <laughs> it's amazing. It really
0: is. Catherine, you have a PhD in pure math- mathematics, um, which I can't actually fathom. You also have an MA in creative writing. It's an unusual pairing, to be sure. How do you operate across both those sciences, obviously so seamlessly? I'm-
1: well, I've always enjoyed reading and writing. When I was very small, I used to uh, scribble my own stories in a homework diary that I'd stolen. But uh, I never really considered writing as a career choice. Uh, it was always very uh, strongly reinforced at school and, and you know by career guidance counsellors that the various careers one should consider are things like medicine, law, accounting, engineering, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So I went to university to study mathematics and fell in love with it. It, um, Despite its reputation, pure mathematics is a really creative discipline. So when I uh, produce a proof in mathematics, to me, it feels as though it's unlocking the same parts of my brain as when I put a sentence together in fiction. They're both um, language, so words and mathematics both place a great emphasis on the value of elegance, of interest, of significance, of complexity. So they're not really the two opposite parts of the coin that, that Durga, for example, in Fragile Monsters thinks they are.
0: They're really quite complementary practices to me at least. It's the science of syntax then, if you will. That's a brilliant way to put it. It's the science of syntax. I like that. So you mentioned your your character Durga and um, I'm about to ask you about uh, how much of you is is in Durga because she is also a mathematician and an academic just like you but obviously straddling both worlds. I first, however, want to pick your brain about your writing career, how it all began and how it unfolded and um, in amongst everything where you find time to exercise all of these muscles.
1: So as an adult, I began writing again when I started doing a short story course, an evening course at a university here in London. And I found that Having an academic commitment to writing made it a lot easier to carve out time for it. It no longer felt like a waste of time, like something that detracted from my day job, from the cooking, cleaning, from from the minutiae of life, Mm. but rather um, like something which I now had permission to spend time on. I was very lucky that one of the stories I wrote on that course uh, won a short story competition which gave me the, the encouragement, the the confidence to enroll in my creative writing MA. Um, one thing which I must say is I, I the only way I can find time for it is by getting up at five o'clock every morning. So I do find that is very helpful because in a sense, you access writing time before your brain has become muddied by language and words and other demands on your time so it's very much uh, a few hours when you can devote it entirely to you if you can get out of bed
0: of course that's actually amazing um, advice for aspiring writers I love that so Catherine let's chat about fragile monsters for those who have not read the book uh, give me your best elevator pitch without revealing too much about the storyline what is fragile monsters all about
1: the Fragile Monsters follows the story of Durga, a Canadian mathematician who returns to her homeland of Malaysia to look after her grandmother, Mary, and visit her for the festival of Diwali. So while Durga is visiting Mary, she starts to uncover some secrets that indicate that what she's been told about her life, and in particular about her dead mother, uh, may not or have always been strictly true. She starts to delve into those stories and in the process uncovers some horrifying uh, truths about Mary's life and her involvement in the Second World War.
0: Um, And like you, as I mentioned, your main character, Durga, is a mathematician and an academic. Um, So the obvious question is how much of you is in that character?
1: Uh, certainly a part of me is in Durga. So Durga as a character is, I think, very much searching for her identity. She's trying to take control of her own past. She's trying to uncover secrets. She's trying to uncover the, the truth of her own history and her own identity. So in that respect, I, I do think Durga is like me. She's possibly like like all of us in, in these rather strange times. A- absolutely, um, yeah. Yes. What? Where I think Durga is perhaps unlike me is as a character, she is very convinced of the absolute truth of mathematics, of things being black and white, uh, factually correct or factually incorrect, um, which makes her... Uh, incredibly good fun to write because, of course, you can put her in all these scenarios which challenge that assumption. And, of course, it challenges any assumptions that that I, as a writer, might hold that that are aligned with that as
0: well. Absolutely. Yes, Uh, that makes a lot of sense. So you are also of Malaysian descent, which is obviously what informed the premise of this novel. Um, Is Malaysia's history something you've always wanted to delve into?
1: It really is. I I think
0: that when we read history
1: textbooks and we see mainstream media about things like the Second World War, we do tend to have it presented to us with a very European focus. So even growing up in Australia, which um, is a Commonwealth country, you know, we, we don't focus terribly much on the experience of the Commonwealth and in particular um, we focus very little on the experience of Malaysians during the Japanese occupation. So instead, we tend to subsume their narratives into a much more global Eurocentric perspective, which I think doesn't actually reflect the experience of Malaysians during that time. So it was definitely something I wanted to to dive into a little bit more.
0: I read about, so oh, if, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to actually bring it up um yeah, on booksbywoman.org, I read that your father's history and and his storytelling impacted on how you started to sort of unravel the history of Malaysia for yourself. Yes, absolutely.
1: So when I was small, my father used to tell me bedtime stories about his childhood in Kuala Lipis in, in Pahak. And it wasn't until I became older that I realised the the context for these uh, fun, exciting stories uh, that was actually that Pahang was the headquarters of the Japanese, uh, in or rather Kuala Lipis were the headquarters of the Japanese in their occupation of Pahang. So all of these stories and these narratives he'd been telling me about had been played out to the background of quite significant trauma to Malaysian society as a whole. Now, obviously, he hadn't uh, told me all of those details when I was, was five years old, but it did make me curious about how we tell stories. And it inspired me to dive into some memoirs and some narratives, some contemporaneous interviews that had been held with people who'd lived through that time. And one of the things which I found really fascinating about those interviews was that the people who were interviewed, were describing the same events, but from completely different emotional perspectives. So they were describing, they were speaking their own emotional truth. And in a sense, reclaiming the control that had been been wrested from them during the occupation, which I thought just displayed amazing resilience.
0: the the way that you piece together that or I, I i wouldn't say piece together it feels like an unfolding of that narrative in your brain from from your child self into into your adulthood is very similar to what happens with um the way that amuma in the novel tells or mary tells the story um and how durga unravels that for herself um So I really love that parallel, and I love how you you posted on social media all the historical reading that you did to inform the novel. And I have to say, you do it so well, and this is what I love about historical fiction, because I won't take to history books. Um, I, I love fiction, but I love learning about different cultures and different histories through a work of fiction. So let's chat about that writing process uh, from conception to research all the historical reading that you did and then how you developed the story from there. So it's a really good question
1: because the initial genesis of the story, the, the very early drafts, early sparks of ideas, were quite different to the finished product. So I began to, to um, visualize the story before I'd actually written it. And at that time, I also began to step up the amount of research I was doing. I will say to, to any aspiring writers out there, you possibly need to do less research than you think. There were mountains of, of notes that didn't make it in at all um, and, and may have informed the background, but but really did just uh, just languish in, in these handwritten notebooks that I keep. And it wasn't until I felt that I had um, a grasp of Malaysian history and a certain grasp of my characters, of what role I wanted them to play in the history. So what type of observations I wanted them to be capable of making and what sort of characters they would have to be to to be in those places in society where they could make those observations. So at that point, I did begin writing. That was when I uh, started to put together the first draft of the novel for my MA submission. And I write in longhand first. I find that particularly these days when we're all working flat out on our computers, um, it's very refreshing to step away from that and to actually physically write in a notebook. It means that. You don't have to have interruptions of email. And I think you can unlock parts of your brain that perhaps are a little bit too overloaded when you're sitting in front of a computer screen glare. Mm. So I wrote the entire first draft in longhand. Uh, and then only when I was happy with it as um, a sequence of events, as a narrative, did I go back, uh, transcribe it onto the computer and then begin the, the endless uh, process of editing.
0: Catherine, the novel Fragile Monsters largely avoids overt mention of colonialism. I feel like it's maybe mentioned twice, but it's an obvious story trajectory. I feel like maybe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, this approach works well in historical fiction because the characters are living the experience as opposed to looking back at how history panned out. Can we chat more about this? Am I losing my mind No, this
1: is a a really good observation, because of course, as modern day readers, we read texts like this with a a view to understanding how the story unfolded in the light of colonialism. Um, However, exactly as you you suggest, I always like to say that we don't live history, we live our lives. And at the time of um, experiencing these events, We often lack that, um, that high, high level perspective, that global perspective to understand where our country, where our society, where our culture's trajectory fits in with wider societal issues like colonialism, like, like patriarchal issues. So the characters, I would say, are perhaps not unaware of things like race privileges. So in the, the different, um, characters' experiences. They obviously exhibit different types of of race privilege. But I would suggest that perhaps at the time, it's very difficult to conceive of those individual race privileges as being facets in a wider colonialist narrative. And of course, Durga perhaps can't do that. It is one of her blind spots.
0: Mm. Um, As with the previous question, I feel exactly the same way um, about feminism and the patriarchal story arc. So you mentioned race privilege and with that I feel is also gender privilege. The story centers around three generations of women and how the actions typically of men, which is war and colonialism, have impacted on their lives. I'd love as the author to hear your thoughts on this. I knew that I wanted
1: to write a, a female-centred narrative because I think when it comes to particularly historical fiction, we do tend to read books about the the, the big events that are initiated, that are carried out, that are directed primarily by men, as, as you say, wars, invasions, um, political treaties, those sorts of things. And all the time I feel that there is... Another story going on, and it's often a women's story of, for example, how to survive under the conditions that have been created by somebody else, by a patriarchal society, by a war focused society. And in Fragile Monsters, I wanted to explore the complexity of female relationships, that they're not just passive, they may be living through situations that were created by. people who aren't taking their input into consideration. But Duga and, and Mary are not just passively accepting it. They're creating their own uh, locuses of control, where they can say, this is my sphere of control, this is the area in which I can act. And I think, although certainly Mary
0: wouldn't have used the phrase, I think that is quite a feminist thing to do in a sense. Yes, absolutely. Um I for that reason I love Mary's character. She just actually writes she writes her own book and her own set of rules. Um she, and she's such a fiery force to be reckoned with. Um and I'd I'd love to go deeper into the the three generations which essentially doesn't really start with well there's four generations if you count Radhika and and that whole history of bringing um India into Malaysia. So I'd love to chat about uh, these three generations a bit more and how trauma is worked through um, across each generation. And there's a lot of epigenetics, I think, that um, and a knock-on effect in the lives of, of Mary and Durga with Francesca in between and uh, the murkiness about her story. I don't want to reveal too much again for those who haven't read it, as well as parallel storylines. Um, Cecilia and Peony, uh, two best friends of each of the two women uh, there are also there's also a, a trope of fireworks and a, the a sanatorium fire uh, these are just really interesting the, the parallelisms are really interesting and fascinating and powerful tools to communicate generational trauma i suppose is there can you comment on this is there more to that yes so i
1: think uh rather unoriginally we are obviously all products of our own histories so mary for example um who is perhaps one of my favorite characters if i'm allowed to have favorites is
0: (laughs) Is um, choosing a favorite child catherine
1: (laughs) absolutely is i feel quite quite disloyal saying that (laughs) but mary is very much a product of her own mother radica's uh trauma and how that presented during her upbringing. So Radhika has been essentially uprooted from her life in Kerala and brought to Malaysia by her husband, who thinks effectively, well, you're, you're Indian, there's loads of Indians here, you will settle in brilliantly. And he's Which, a white course,
0: Stephen, her husband is a white British man.
1: British, yes. And at the time, I think that may very well have been the the attitude of many white British uh, people, particularly those who um, had a more sort of colonial administrative role as Stephen does. And, of course, he's wrong about that because Radhika is from Kerala. Radhika is a Malayali. She speaks Malayalam. She has very, very little in common with the the other Indians there, the the Tamil uh, estate workers. She would not have shared a language with them. And she would be just as much out of place and lacking her own context as he would and mary's um, desire to seize control mary's desire to uh, to own everything to possess things to have things her own way uh, was a very deliberate conceit to perhaps reflect the lack of security that that someone might like that might have felt with growing up with a mother who was herself quite insecure and of course because of mary's trauma uh, she finds it very difficult to bring up Francesca and then Durga without signs of that trauma. So Francesca, as I said, I, I, as you said, I won't um, uh, put in any spoilers, but Francesca's life is unhappy. Francesca is the missing woman at the centre of all of the, the story. Francesca is perhaps the, uh, the flaw in all the generations. And Durga, her daughter, is also to a certain extent flawed. She is perhaps only half a person because of her her need to cling so rigidly to this idea that you can control things, that things are black and white, that you can say something is factually true. And she's rebelling to a certain extent against Mary. But in effect, she is actually acting out Mary's own traumas, Mm. Mary's own uh, dislocated upbringing. And it was something which I tried to emphasize in the parallels between generations. So, obviously, the friendship between Durga and Theony is very similar to the friendship dynamics between Mary and Sharon. And again, I think we have the tendency to assume that friendships between little girls are sweet, uh, sugar and spice and everything nice. And they aren't, of course. Um, Mm -hmm. Little girls are people. Little girls are life-size people to other little girls, and their relationships can be just as fraught, just as complex, just as filled with jealousy and affection. And in effect, Mary and Durga have both experienced those relationships and have both been scarred by coming out of them in perhaps very similar ways, more similar than they actually realise.
0: I love that you say little girls are people, and what made me think of when you when you mention that Francesca is the missing epicenter of of the story. Also, if I can get academic on you and um, you know look into your own work, I feel like she is the last voice of women in history, um, as you mentioned uh, before. We look we take a look at history in this patriarchal framing, and Francesca's Missing Voice is a a representation of that framing. Catherine, in a few short sentences, what is it essentially that you wanted to communicate to the world with your work?
1: I wanted to encourage readers to interrogate their own pasts, to communicate that uh, the truths that we tell ourselves are not always um, completely consistent with other people's truths. That our emotional landscapes can be a lot more complex than we give them credit for. And that particularly in these, these days of quite um, polarized thinking, that we can perhaps come some way towards accepting other points of view, other frames of reference, other narrative framings, um, even where they contradict elements of our own truth.
0: My last question uh, is about the title and I love it in a book. Sometimes it's not overt um, and other times it is. I love it in a book when the title ties in to a key passage and you have that aha moment where you realize, oh, that's why it's called that. So if I may uh, read your own words back to you, I want to tell her that I miss Peony. I want her to admit that China Dolls won't help nor autograph books nor raking up the past come to that. This is Durga talking about her grandmother, um, Mary, or Amuma. She carries on, perhaps that's what I've come back to learn. The ghosts in Malaysia are for good. They're fragile monsters. These nothings of ours. It was so poignant for me that moment, Eh, without any spoilers, if it's at all possible, why the title Fragile Monsters?
1: Without spoilers, I wanted to try and explore the idea that the um the ghosts, the antagonists that we have in our past are to a certain extent our own construction. So the good and the bad, the, the monsters and the you know the, the devils and the angels in our past are a little more fragile. They're our own constructions. So as I said before, I believe that we rewrite the past that we speak to our own emotional truths and in doing so we inevitably create the monsters and the saints and I wanted to emphasize how fragile those constructions are that the monsters when you turn them around and look from the other side really are are completely insubstantial
0: beings. I know this is a cruel question for for creatives especially but uh, especially with your your book out now and um, this coming month but what is next for Catherine Menon is there a, another draft underway or are you taking a break what can we expect
1: uh there is another draft underway um which I won't say say too much about but Yay, it's, but
0: that's yeah, that's exciting
1: it's again it's looking at um the place of science in the world, so in a slightly more modern world, but how we can reconcile um, the scientific endeavours that we all owe loads of things to, um, especially these days, uh, with our own feelings and our own folklore. So that that draft is is underway at the moment. It, it's in the, the those dreadful stages where you fill loads of notebooks with, as I said before, with loads of notes that probably won't make it in.
0: I have no doubt that those notes make it into the substance behind what goes into your beautiful writing. Uh, readers, listeners, Fragile Monsters is out internationally on 8 April, and I urge you all to go out and get a copy. This is a story that will sit with you. Author Catherine Menon, thank you for joining me on The Great Equalizer. Thank you.
1: It's been wonderful.